Welcome back to the podcast. As a church, we've been working our way through the Pentateuch in our small groups, and every so often we have a topic night. Uh, This recording I'm about to play you is the recording from our recent one on covenants. We've just got to Genesis chapter 22, and by the time you get there, the word covenant has come up 10 times in the Bible text. So we wanted to take an evening just to think a little bit more about it. If you've ever wondered why we're now allowed to eat bacon, why people disagree over who should be baptised, why people have different opinions on the Sabbath, covenants are the place to start. Well, let's get into the recording. Well, welcome to the second of our topic nights this year. Uh, The point of these evenings is to help us think harder about certain things that the Bible says. And hopefully you're here tonight because you're expecting this. If not, enjoy. Uh, It's not a night on marriage, but you're going to see why I've got a picture of marriage up there later. Or if you listen to Sam this morning, you've probably got a good idea why there's a picture of marriage up there. Once again, thank you for the questions I've had in advance. Uh, I'm hoping to cover those. Uh, On the back of your handout, there is something that says questions. Uh, The the only question that didn't fit what I was already saying has gone there. Uh, But feel free, there's a little bit more space to add more answers to more questions. I have, well, there is a lot on this topic that we could say, but I am going to be controlled this evening, and all the people who are here for creation are sighing in relief. Sam doesn't know what happened that night, does he? (laughs) If you listen back to the recordings, everything gets faster and faster and faster, and it goes, oh, it's gone seven o'clock, well, let's just take a few more minutes. Um, Yes, I'm hoping we're going to be done within the hour and have time for questions. Let's see how this goes, shall we? Don't hold me to it. Uh, We have seen the word covenant come up in a big way two times so far in the Pentateuch overview. Uh, We saw it come up with Noah in Genesis chapter 9, and we've seen it come up with Abraham, who's now Abraham, where we are in our growth groups, in Genesis 15. So we thought it'd be great to take an evening to think a bit harder about them. Now, if you feel this evening that you have questions that haven't been answered, uh, hopefully there'll be time. If you need clarification, hopefully you'll be able to ask clarification points, but feel free to come grab me at the end or send me an email, Uh, but I am hoping we'll have time for questions. As I say, we have got a handout. The handout says topic like covenants. They all match the same form, so if you you hole punch it, as Trisha's going to do, you put it into your folder, they'll all look the same, and it's really nice. At least that pleases people like me, and maybe Louise. Louise seems quite happy with that. Uh, let's, Let's have a think through, shall we? Here is the covenant we saw recently in our growth groups. Uh, Genesis chapter 15, verse 18 says, On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. That's what we're thinking about this evening. But before we begin our time, let's pray and ask for God's help, shall we? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the covenant-making God. Father, we Pray this evening that you would help us to think hard about what you are doing as you make covenants with your people. And Father, we pray this evening that we would leave worshipping you all the more because of who you are. Amen. Amen. Great. Now, when you heard we were having an evening thinking about covenants, I wonder what crossed your mind. In fact, I asked a few people uh, and it became apparent that this might be a bit of a hard sell this evening. I mean, Sam and I, we were jumping with excitement uh, because we get excited about these kind of things. But the fact you're here, well, it bodes well. It means the marketing campaign has worked. And I want to show you why this topic is a topic that you should get excited about. In fact, a topic you should care massively about. See, covenant is one of the most important words in the Bible since it introduces one of the most central theological themes in the whole Bible. Now, some people, they make an absolutely massive deal out of covenants. Uh, They call their whole lot of theology covenant theology, and they dive deeper and deeper into it. Other people, well, they make a very small, tiny deal out of covenants. This evening, we want to put the emphasis where the Bible puts the emphasis, which means we're going to be in the middle. And we can't truly understand the scriptures. We can't truly understand the Bible if we don't understand the covenants that God makes with his people. It's a big, bold claim. The covenants, they are the backbone 
of the storyline of the Bible. They're not the main thing in the Bible, but they help us to unfold the Bible's narrative, the Bible's storyline. In fact, I'm going to demonstrate that to you, hopefully, with something on the screen. Because if you were to plot out the covenants, you'd find that you get a very good description of the Bible story. So here we go. Uh, Stolness from Andrew Satch. Uh, creation here, right at the beginning. Uh, new creation here, right at the end. And that's Jesus and the resurrection. Happy with that? Great. So if we were to have, uh, if we were to stick the covenants in, well, let's stick the big important things, shall we? So we have uh, the flood comes in here. We get the promises to Abraham here. We get uh, Moses and Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments. That's a mountain. My handwriting is going great here, isn't it? Uh, how much more stuff do I need to fit in here? Uh, we have the, the whole of the Old Testament history, which leads up to King David. Let's have a crown up here. We have the prophets. And then 400 years to Jesus. And then you have uh, the New Testament writings here. That's a rough sketch of the Bible storyline, right? And I've got that in order, haven't I? Happy with that? Brilliant. Um, if we were to stick the covenants in, let me stick them in red. Well, you'd find the one here. There's one here. There's one here. There's one here. And there's one kind of here that covers up to this. So actually, if you were to plot the covenants of the Bible on the Bible storyline, on the Bible timeline, you would find that most of the Bible is covered. Which means it's probably quite important, doesn't it? In fact, uh, all the gaps, if you were to put a gap here or here or here or here, uh, if you were to put a gap on the prophets, what are the prophets doing? Well, most of the time they're saying, what's going on? I thought you'd made a covenant, God, and everything's gone wrong. Uh, think about the Psalms. When you get to the middle of the book of Psalms, they're saying, God, I thought you made a covenant with David. I thought you made a covenant with the people of Israel. But the uh, foreigners have come in, they've taken our land and they've got rid of our king. The prophets, the Psalms, all of that, they're asking God, why aren't you keeping your promises? Why aren't you keeping your covenant? And as we saw today in the New Testament, covenant's a big issue there, isn't it? Let's shrink that back. Now, all careful readers of the scriptures, we want to comprehend how the Bible fits together so that we can grasp the overall uh, narrative and so we can understand the theology of the Bible. We can't really apply scripture wisely to our whole lives if we don't understand the whole counsel of God. That's a point made in Acts chapter 20. And we can't grasp how scripture fits together if we lack clarity on the covenants that God makes for his people. Because covenants are how the promises are going to come. It's covenants that advance the storyline of the Bible. Well, that was a lot of things being said, but still, why should you care? Well, I want to say to you this evening, and it's a point on your handout, uh, there are some spare there if people still need them, three reasons why you should care about covenants, and the trump card's the last one. First of all, because it affects the Christian life. In fact, all of us in this room make decisions, well, also on Zoom, a lot of us, all of us as Christians make decisions based on where we are in the covenants. How does the Old Testament fit with the New Testament? Why is it that I can eat bacon? And my note here says, and wear clothes. I mean, wear clothes that are of mixed types. Wear clothes, yeah. Uh, why do some people say we should baptise babies and other people say, no, no, it's only believers? Why do different churches decide, oh, this is how we take the Lord's Supper and other people say, no, this is how we should take it? Why do people uh, sometimes say, well, Sunday is the Sabbath and therefore I shouldn't work? And other people go, no, no, Sunday isn't the Sabbath. Carry on with what you were doing. Why do we have different views on the land of Israel today? See, all of those decisions, all of those questions, they boil down to covenants. They all boil down to how we understand the covenants of the Bible. And that means that as we read our Bibles, if we haven't clocked covenants, we might be in danger of misapplying things to ourselves. So one, we should care because the Christian life is affected by covenants. Number two, why should you care? Well, because the Bible expects you to care. Now, when we were in growth groups looking through Hebrews, you got to Hebrews chapter 8, and the author of Hebrews really makes a big point out of covenants. Uh, for example, if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. Well, that's a big deal about covenants. Or you get to Acts chapter 15. Uh, in Acts chapter 15, there's the Council of Jerusalem, and they're talking about covenants. How is it that the Gentiles can come in? What do they need to do? Or you get to Luke chapter 22, as we did this Sunday morning. 
And Jesus says, this cup, this blood, is the blood of the new covenant. Well, to talk about the new covenant, we need to think, what's the old covenant? In fact, it's almost impossible to understand many of the church's early struggles apart from covenant debates. For example, uh, the Jew and Gentile relationship in the New Testament, it comes up in Matthew, it comes up in Acts, it comes up in Romans, it comes up in Ephesians, it comes up all the way through the Bible. Well, that's to do with covenants. Uh, If you go to the book of Galatians, we're going to do that at the end very quickly. But the claim of the false teachers in Galatians is all about covenants. As I said, the reason why the assembly in Jerusalem was gathered was to do with covenants. Uh, When you get to Romans chapter 14 and 15, the difference between the strong and the weak is a covenants issue. The question on how you live now that Jesus has come is a covenants issue. All of those issues throughout the Bible are simply the church wrestling with how the old covenant flows into the new covenant and what that means now that Jesus has come. And here's my trump card. Why should you care about covenants? Well, because God cares about covenants. This is this morning, Luke chapter 22, verse 20. Because Sam said I had to speak about it, I'm speaking a lot more about it this evening. Uh, This is Jesus at the Last Supper. And Jesus says, in the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. God has revealed himself in his word. That's something that we believe as a church. God reveals himself through his word. And through covenants in his word, God has made himself known. There's a lot of stuff there. Hopefully we're going to unpack it all uh, as time goes on this evening. But I'm hoping that you're at least starting to care now about covenants. I'm hoping I've started to sell this idea to you. I'm hoping by the end of tonight, you'll be even more sold than that. So how are covenants used in the Bible? Hopefully you see these points all being matching up on the handout there. To figure out what's going on with covenants in the Bible, we really need to look at the Bible. As I've said, some people make a big deal out of these. Some people make a tiny deal out of them. But we want to put the emphasis where the emphasis is put from the emphasis on the right syllable as where the Bible puts it. So we're going to spell out how the whole Bible story hangs together. You ready for this? First of all, there is a plan. Throughout the Bible, there is only one way of being saved. That's a big point in this covenants idea. There's only one way to be saved. God only has one plan. And if you've ever read the Bible with Sam, you might have read Ephesians. Or if you just read the Bible, you might have read Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1 spells out God's eternal plan for us. Uh, Ephesians 1, 9 to 10. With all wisdom and understanding, he, God, made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. See, this is what God is doing. This is the whole purpose of what God is doing on earth, to bring all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. This is where all of history is going. This is the master plan. That's what we called the sermon series on Ephesians uh, when we went through Ephesians a little while ago. This is God's master plan because God has one plan to save his people, which unfolds throughout the Bible. Is that clear enough? One plan of God. That leads to promise. This is Genesis 12, 1 to 3. We've studied this in growth groups. This is one reason I've gone here. God says to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. See that plan, that one plan of God. So we've seen our growth groups comes through Abraham. Specifically, that's a plan that's going to be coming through a promise. And this is part of the promise here, Genesis 12, 1 to 3. You'll see why I've gone here in a moment. But that promise, it extends all the way down to verse 7 of Genesis chapter 12, as we will see in our next quote. But do you see there, God is saying, I will. This is not anything of Abraham. This is nothing of humanity being any good. God is saying, I will do this. Or it's the same promise as we saw in Genesis 3:15. God saying, I will sort out the sin problem effectively. 
So God, make, God has a plan and he promises he's going to bring that plan to fruition. And this is where covenants come in, okay? See, Galatians chapter 3, verses 15 to 18, is a very helpful passage for seeing how all of this stuff comes together. Now, there's a lot of text there on the screen. But just look at the word covenant and look at the word promise. Let me see if I can highlight them for you to help you see where they are. The annoying thing is my highlights don't stay up. So what do we have here? Uh, no one sets aside a human covenant. Let me draw that in. That's been duly established. The promises spoken to Abraham. That's the promise we were just looking at in Genesis 12. Uh, was spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture doesn't say and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What I mean is this. The law, introduced 430 years later, does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For inheritance depends on the law that it no longer depends on the promise. But God gave in his grace, gave it to Abraham through a promise. Do you see promise, covenant, plan all coming together in that verse, in those verses there? All of it's connected together. The big point, promises are established or duly established. You see there uh, a covenant, a human covenant that has been duly established. Covenants are established. Uh, sorry, say that again. The big point, promises are established or duly established through covenants. See, covenants are how God ensures that the promises are going to happen. And that's how God's big plan is going to come about. You can see similar things in Ephesians chapter 2. In fact, it's similar to a marriage. Just think about a marriage. See, a couple can agree to love one another. They can promise to live together. But in a marriage ceremony, those promises, they are established in front of other people. See, it's not the moment that you get the ring, that you put the ring on, that something magically happens. Else watch out when you lose that ring. But the covenant is established at the marriage ceremony. There is a greater security. It's in front of other people. And as the couple, as they wear their rings, it's an outward demonstration to the rest of the world that promises have been made. So here we go. Hopefully this sentence works. Hopefully we're getting this into our heads. The plan comes about by the promise, which is established by the covenants. Now that sentence, if you memorize it, is a good way of understanding what covenants are doing in the Bible. The plan comes about by the promise, which is established by the covenants. I've taken that from Paul in Galatians, so that's where that comes from. But this leads us to some implications, okay? Here are some big points when it comes to covenants that we need to remember as we go through. Number one, we don't want to see covenants as isolated and independent. I mean, that's the same phrase the FIC uses for churches. We don't want them to be isolated. Covenants are the same. We don't want covenants to be isolated or independent because there is one plan. And each of the covenants progressively unfolds that plan. So beginning in creation, going all the way through to their fulfillment in Christ. And God has given them to us in an order. As we read through the Bible story, it is a, a story that happens in history. We get them in order. One of Paul's big points was the law. That's the covenant with Moses came 430 years later. God has given them to us in an order and they develop off each other. For example, when God gave a covenant to David, he said to David, one of your sons is going to be a king. But to be a king of somewhere, well, we need a previous covenant to have made a people for that king to be the king over. Or think about Abraham. We saw this in our growth groups. It would be crazy to say that God would give Abraham a land if the covenant with Noah hadn't happened before that. He'd go, Abraham, here's some land. But you know what? I might flood the world again and completely get rid of it. No, you need the covenants to build on each other. And if you were to isolate, if you were to make these covenants independent, you're going to end up with results that reading the rest of the Bible tells us aren't right. So we don't want to make them independent and isolated, but we also don't want to make them uh, totally unified. We want to see a unique contribution that each covenant makes. Because each covenant has its own part to play in preparing us for the coming of Christ. 
Now, sometimes people effectively drive a steamroller over the whole of Bible history, and they make it uh, mean exactly the same thing here as it meant at the end. You see, each covenant has its own part to play in preparing us for the coming of Christ. We're going to see these different covenants uh, later on. Uh, flip over your handout if you want to proof that I'm going to do that. But that means that we want to see continuity and we want to see discontinuity. We want to see things continuing and things stopping as we go through. And people tend to make mistakes when they take one thing from one covenant and they transfer it into another covenant. They directly transfer it straight over without thinking how the storyline is progressing. That's exactly the issue that Galatians is all about. As I say, we're going to think about that a little later. So hold on to your seats. Another thing we want to correct whilst we talk about this is we don't want to see covenants as conditional and unconditional. You might have heard that covenants are conditional covenants and there are unconditional covenants. But just think about that for a moment. If God is making a covenant, he says it's going to happen. Well, surely it's going to happen. And if mankind is involved and asked to be faithful to God, well, what do you expect mankind to be? Well, they're going to be unfaithful, aren't they? And the thing is, you, things get a bit messy when you try and say this covenant is unconditional here and this covenant is conditional here. Instead, we want to hold that tension. We want to say, yes, God's going to bring about his plan. But at the same time, mankind is flawed. It's kind of like you need a perfect man to come to bring all of God's promises to, to fruition. I wonder who that could be. So let's stay away from that idea. And finally, it means that we want to see God revealing himself to us as we go through the Bible. So as each covenant comes onto the scene in the Bible story, we learn more about the God who makes them. And we learn more about why God does what he does. So the plan comes about by the promise, which is established by the covenants. Great. But hold up a minute. I'm giving you lots of information, but we haven't even defined what a covenant is yet. Well, there are a number of covenants in the Bible. Uh, if you were to take account of how many covenants we have seen, if we've read through from Genesis 1 to Genesis, uh, where are we up to now? 22. How many times the word covenant has come up so far in just those 22 chapters? It's come up 10 times as we've gone through already. You can go back and check that. 10 times we've seen the word covenant come up in the Bible so far. In fact, we saw one in Genesis 14. Here's one in Genesis 14, the passage with the kings in the world war. Do you remember that one? Uh, Genesis 14, verse 13. A man who'd escaped came and reported this to Abram, the Hebrew. Now Abram was living near the great trees of Mamre, the Amorite, a brother of Eshcol and Aner, all of whom were allied to Abraham, or, translating more directly, all of whom were in covenant with Abraham or with Abram. So you get covenants between people. But we're more interested this evening in the covenants between God and man. As we said, the big progression points of the Bible storyline. So what is it then that makes a covenant? Well, I put a definition there on your handout. There is a difference between the word covenant and the concept of covenant. The difference between the word covenant and the concept covenant. The word covenant is used very specifically. We've just seen that in what we've been doing above, how a covenant's used in the Bible. But the concept is larger than the word. If that's confusing, don't worry too much. I'm just giving you things to think about. But here's a definition of covenant that we can try on for size this evening, okay? I'm not saying this is a perfect definition. I'm saying this is one we're going to try on for size like you do in a shop. And actually, it's from this little green book that you'll find... Uh, detailed on the back of your handouts under the resources section. It's called Covenant by Tom Schreiner. It's only 100 pages if you want to think more about this topic later. But Tom Schreiner says this, a covenant is a chosen relationship in which two parties make binding promises to each other. A covenant is a chosen relationship in which two parties make binding promises to each other. We're going to take that sentence apart and just think about how it works. And then we're going to try and apply it to a passage. So let's see what happens, shall we? First of all, a covenant is a relationship. Now, when we say it's a relationship, we're saying it's not a contract. You see that? A relationship versus a contract. A contract is a thing-oriented thing, okay? It's about things. A covenant is about people. It's a person-oriented thing. So a covenant is not like a mortgage. 
because a mortgage is about things. A mortgage is cold and impersonal, and that's before the banks get involved. When we think about covenant, we want to be thinking more about a marriage. That was why the title screen earlier was a picture of a marriage. Let me nuance that further. A chosen relationship. So think about a marriage. Uh, Two unrelated people, they have to be unrelated to be married. Two unrelated people come together by means of a covenant. Two unrelated people choose to be joined together in an agreement, in a relationship. So a relationship, a covenant is between parents. But a covenant wouldn't apply to parents and their children because you can't choose your families as much as we'd like to. You don't get to pick your kids, do they? Lovely as they are. So a chosen relationship. And finally, in which two parties make binding promises. Again, think of marriage. Binding promises, promising to live together. I X, take you, Y, to be my lawful, wedded husband, wife. And covenants, they're mutual, aren't they? See, they're both, ex- both sides are expected to do something. In the normal setup, it's a mutual thing. And that's really important when it comes to covenants in the Bible, particularly when you come to Abraham in Genesis 15, if you remember with that uh, deep darkness and him falling asleep and God's taken on both sides of the covenant there. Still, not all covenants were alike in the ancient world. In some covenants, a person with more authority made a covenant with someone with less authority and power. Such was the case when the king made a covenant with his people. And as we think about that, we're probably thinking, well, actually, when God makes a covenant, it's the same. When God makes a covenant, when he enters into covenant with human beings, we have a superior entering into a covenant with someone who's inferior. So that means that all covenants then are not precisely the same. And we need to keep that in mind as we think through covenants in the Bible. And as I said, it makes a huge difference what covenant is in play when we read the Bible. We're going to see a bit more why in a moment. A covenant is a chosen relationship in which two parties make binding promises to each other. Now, I've talked enough. Uh, It's time to actually see this in in, practice. well, see it in action. So perhaps it's going to be worth thinking this through a bit more in smaller groups. Last time we didn't have a chance to do this because I was talking about creation for a whole hour and a bit. Uh, and a few people said, next time, could we actually talk about it in smaller groups and actually put it into practice? So that's what we're going to try and do now. So what we're going to do is we're going to try and think how this works for Noah. Okay, so you want to have a Bible and you want to find Genesis chapter 9, verses 8 to 17. And the questions are on the sheet there. See if you can answer these questions from the text. What is the relationship? So who is it that the covenant's being made between? Is it someone who's superior and inferior, that kind of idea? What are the binding promises being made between the two parties? And remember, this is all to progress the story of the Bible. So how does this progress the storyline of the Bible? What is it about the Noah covenant, the covenant with Noah, or maybe more than Noah, as we'll see in a moment? How does this progress the story of the Bible? Everyone clear what we're doing? I think for Zoom, we'll probably all stay in one room unless it's really obvious that we need two. Uh, But let's go into smaller rooms now. Feel free to use as much space and be as close to each other as you're happy with. But I'll give you uh, five minutes to just have a look at that now and then we'll come back together. Noah's an interesting passage uh, to think about because it is the first time that a covenant explicitly is stated in the Bible. So in some ways, this covenant here with Noah is a defining covenant because it's the one that we need to understand covenants the first time to understand what's going on. And in the context, the whole world has fallen, isn't it? We saw that in our growth group studies. And there's that famous verse, maybe you remember it, the desires of every man's heart is evil all of the time. So in fact, the world deserves to be flooded again and again and again. Yet God hasn't finished with humanity, and he makes promises to Noah. And God covenants with Noah, and actually to the rest of creation, did you see that? It's between creation and God. That God is going to uphold the entire world. So the covenant with Noah effectively sets the stage. It works out the parameters for God's rescue plan to come about. Remember the one rescue plan that comes 
uh, through the promise which is established by the covenants. So what are the other major covenants in the Bible then? We're going to take a nice whirlwind tour through the other covenants. There's so much that I could say. I said this to Sam the other day. There's so much I want to say, but so much I'm not going to say on that Sunday. So if you want to know more about this, I can talk for ages about this. But let's think about Abraham. So you can see the key passages there uh, under Abraham. Abraham. So Genesis 12, Genesis 15, and Genesis 17, they are the big ones when it comes to the covenant. In fact, I should probably stick Genesis 22 in there, uh, as we saw on Wednesday, because that is a key thing, uh, part of this covenant, isn't it? Uh, but Abraham. So Abraham is promised, I like three Ps, uh, people, place, and presence. You might have heard offspring, land, and blessing. Uh, is that what um, Vaughan Roberts has in his book? People, land, blessing. There you go, something in between the two. Uh, so this is what the covenant with Abraham is doing. Uh, the big promise to Abraham is he's going to have a number of offspring. And if you remember back to Genesis 1, that was always the plan. So through Abraham, God is promising to bring about that promise. Or think about the place. Uh, the, pl the promise is in a place, isn't it? Which develops from Noah, where we've just been. The world is not going to be destroyed again, so that we, God can promise there's going to be a place. And it takes us back to Eden, again, right at the beginning of the Bible, where God's blessing was meant to be spreading from. And presence, just like Eden, God will be with his people. The whole world will be able to come to God through Abraham's offspring. But when we're looking at those things, we're still left waiting, aren't we? We're still left looking for that offspring. That offspring is going to come. That offspring gets mentioned again in Genesis 22. But that offspring, it helps us to think about uh, the covenant sign of Abraham. So in Genesis 17, we're told that Abraham's covenant is a covenant in the flesh, or otherwise known as circumcision. See, a covenant sign is something that you can look at and remember God's promise. Sam was pointing us to that this morning with the Lord's Supper. For Noah, you might know that was a rainbow. You can look at the rainbow and go, God's not going to flood the world again. Well, for Abraham, that's circumcision. Gulp. But if you think about it, if you think about what circumcision is, I'm not going to go into details here. If you think what circumcision is, it's God promising a people and God promising an offspring. So every time that a child is conceived and a child is born in Abraham's family, well, that promise is going to be on display, isn't it? That child is going to be seen as one of the people. And potentially, if we think where the whole Bible story is going, potentially that child who's just been born, the one who's having the sign of circumcision applied to them, may be that Messiah, maybe that chosen king that God has promised right from the get-go. So if somebody trusts that promise, they're going to take that sign on. And in that case, it's circumcising their baby boy. That's the covenant with Abraham. Lots more stuff could be said. We're going to move on to Sinai. I'm going to have a bit more of a think about this in growth groups in January, so I don't want to steal any punches. Uh, this covenant might be known as the Mosaic Covenant. You might have heard that before. It might be known as the covenant with Israel. I'm using Sinai here as just the place, uh, just to give us a different name for it. But you remember, the nation that was promised to Abraham is now coming true. They are in the place, or they're going to be in the place. So we're now looking for the offspring who's going to come, who's going to bless the world, who's going to crush the serpent. And that means, well, we need to know who God's people are. Else we can't know if that promise has happened, can we? So the covenant at Sinai is all about marking the people of God out. It's all about separation. It's all about separating them from the rest of the world. Israel are to be God's special possession that demonstrates the rest of the world who God is. And so the covenant uh, with Israel, the Sinai covenant, is where they're given the law. It's the way they're to live in contrast to the rest of the world. They're given dietary laws that make them stand out from others around them. Hey, do you want a burger with a bit of bacon on the top? No, sorry, I can't. I'm standing out from the rest of the world. Specifically, they are given the Sabbath. That is the sign of the Sinai covenant. It takes trust when you think about it to keep the Sabbath. Let me tell you what this meant for Israel. To keep the Sabbath would have meant stopping work one day every week. I think we know that generally, don't we? When we think of Sabbath, that's what we generally think about. But actually, it's bigger than that. To keep Sabbath also meant to stop farming for one year out of seven. 
They're meant to reset society every seven years. That takes a lot of trust, doesn't it? To think that you're going to have enough food for the year that the farms aren't running. It's going to take a lot of trust to say, you know what, society is being reset again. Everything I've gained is going to be reset back to level again. It's going to take a lot of trust to do that. Just imagine if all the wealth of our world was redistributed every seven years. I know some people have that as a dream, but I don't think anyone really wants that. It's going to take a lot of trust, isn't it? In fact, when you read the prophets, when you get to the, uh, the end of the Old Testament, the state of the covenant with Israel is demonstrated, it's seen in how well the people keep the Sabbath. In fact, it's a bit like a wedding ring, as we talked about. This is not the covenant. This is not everything involved, is it? This is just a bit of metal that I got uh, from Hatton Garden the day that, you know, that jewel fit, that heist went on, uh, and all the shops were closed. Izzy and I struggled to find rings. We found one in the end. But if I was to take this ring off and I was to throw it across the room like that, what makes the point, doesn't it? Particularly if I was to, don't worry, they're pennies, just in case you're worrying. (laughs) If I was to go, yeah, this is over like that. Sorry, Lydia, if you got hit by that. Uh, If I was to do that, well, it'd make a point about the whole covenant, wouldn't it? It'd say there's something wrong with this marriage. And that's what Sabbath is like. My real ring is here. Izzy, it is here, okay? But as I say, we're going to see more of this as we get to this passage in growth groups in January, okay? So mark your calendars for January. But we're moving on. I like to call this the David Covenant because it's a great name. Uh, the Davidic Covenant is found in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Samuel's a great name as well. Just to <laughs> uh, we, see the, we see the outworkings in 2 Samuel 7. We don't see the word covenant there. That's why it says also Psalm 89, because there we do see the word covenant applied to what's going on there. But this is the covenant made with David. This is effectively narrowing down the Messiah, the chosen promised king, who's going to come through David's family line. This is a covenant that says that there's going to be a king, there's going to be a Messiah who's going to reign forever. Which if we're tracking through the Bible, we're thinking, yes, we need that. We need to get back to Adam. So in this covenant, we're getting a new Adam being promised. Because in Eden, Adam was to have dominion. He was to rule over the whole of creation. We saw that in Psalm chapter 8, didn't we, a couple of weeks back in the fifth Sunday, uh, all age. So now in this covenant, David and his offspring, they're to be like new Adams. And if you wanted to see this in action, if you want to see all the covenants come together at this point, uh, just look up Psalm 72 and read through Psalm 72 and just think how many promises uh, we get from Abraham coming up in there and being tied to the king. I'll let you do that in your own time. But we're going to think more about 2 Samuel 7 uh, next year, if all goes to plan. In fact, if all goes to plan, according to the document Sam and I have, 6th of March is when we're going to think about 2 Samuel 7. Uh, Put that in your diaries, and you can come up with all your questions to ask Sam about after he's preached it on that Sunday. But there you go, Davidic covenant, nice and fast. Finally, you are here. Take note. The new covenant. New covenant comes up in the old testament but it's looking forwards to what's going to come after the messiah has come so jeremiah 31 to 34 isaiah 54 and ezekiel 33 to 39 we will get to isaiah 54 on a sunday evening at some point i can't tell you when though but we'll get there and it's great Uh, the new covenant this is where we are today there's lots of stuff we can say about this but let's see what jeremiah says let's see what the bible says about it so this is Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34. The days are coming. So this is a future thing for Jeremiah. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and the people of Judah. Is our first thing about it. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors. That's the Sinai covenant. When I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Praise the Lord, his mercy is more, eh? There's lots of stuff I say you could say about this, but let me just pull out the big things that Jeremiah says in this passage. First one, not like the covenant at Sinai. How is it not going to be like the covenant at Sinai? Well, it says there, 
because they broke that covenant. That's an issue, isn't it? If mankind is involved, the covenants get broken. But this covenant is not going to be like this. This covenant is not going to be able to be broken. What else is new in this covenant? Well, writing the law in the mind and writing it on the heart. That is a big issue in the Old Testament, isn't it? They were given the Ten Commandments. They were on stone. They were external to the people and the people didn't keep them. But God promises his law is going to be put on the inside. And in fact, as the other prophets, as Isaiah and Ezekiel develop that, we find out that he's talking about the Holy Spirit at that point. So the law and the heart is the Holy Spirit. And the next big thing, everyone in that covenant will know God personally. Previously, it was anybody who was born to Israel. They were inside the covenant. Remember the circumcision thing? But that meant that in the covenant with Israel, there was a whole load of people who didn't actually know God personally. They were in the people of God, but they weren't really believers. They didn't know God. And even then, people needed other people to tell them about God. Know the Lord. That's what they would have said. But this covenant is different. Everyone in this covenant knows the Lord. And finally, true forgiveness. This is the massive thing in the new covenant. See, in the new covenant, forgiveness would come. That's what people have needed since day one, isn't it? I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. And we know how that happens. We know how that comes. We saw that this morning when Jesus says, this is the blood of the new covenant. He is saying that he is how the new covenant comes to the people. So in Jesus' death, his resurrection and his ascension, that we have everything that God has promised to his people. See, the covenant that was brought about, the promise, so that God's plan is complete in Jesus. And it's guaranteed through that covenant. It's locked, it's padlocked, it's 100% going to happen. Which means that every time we take the Lord's Supper, we remember. We remember that covenant. We remember that everything has been done for all of this to be true. That is a whirlwind tour of the covenants. Still got enough time for questions. So if you have anything more you want to ask about that stuff, feel free to come and ask. But I'm going to go to questions. And I'm going to go to the first one that I haven't covered that I've been given already. And then we'll open the floor to clarification and other questions if there are any. Okay. And if you're on Zoom, you probably want to type them into the chat so that Ian can read them to me. And Sam can answer. So first one, there's a lot of stuff we can say on, the, on this topic. I've tried to be concise so we get the big points. Uh, but let me run through this question uh, that we had. So the first big question, how are people in different covenants saved? So we say the new covenant with Jesus, that is the one that saves. So you can only be saved through Jesus. Well, let me show you how this works. Here's a diagram on here. See, some groups uh, out there, they say there are different ways for different people to be saved throughout the Bible storyline. Some people even today very small amount of people say there are different ways that different nationalities will be saved today. And in fact, it might look that way when you read the Bible. You might think to yourself, well, someone is saved by doing this. But nowadays we're told not to do that. So they're saved in a different way. Let me stress, there is only one way to be saved throughout the whole Bible. And that is through faith in God's promise. Trusting that God's promise is how he's going to save his people. But how that looks under the different covenants is different. So to make this simple, what I've done is I've taken the Sinai covenant, the one with the law, and I've taken the new covenant, the one that we're under now, just so we can compare and contrast, okay? So hopefully you can either see it on the screen or you've got a, the same copy on your hand out there. So the promise we saw with Abraham, God is going to bless the world through Abraham's seed. And that promise is there, well, in fact, right from Genesis 3.15. So the whole of humanity for the whole of history has had that promise. So there's always been something for you to trust in. So everyone who ever existed could know that promise and trust that promise. They might not know the exact details of what's going to happen, but ever since Genesis 3.15, there has been a promise to trust. Now, under the Sinai covenant, that looked like trusting the promise looked like loving, fearing and trusting the Lord. And that was expressed by obeying the whole law. The whole law of the Old Testament is how you show that you love, fear, and trust the Lord. We'll think more about the law when we get further through the Pentateuch. We're not there yet. But it is worth saying that sacrifices were there, right there in the middle of the text, for the times that people messed up. See, it wasn't a one strike and you're out. In fact, the sacrifice system was a trusting system. You'd have to take something that was worth a lot of money at the time, and go and sacrifice it to God to show you really trust the promise that God would forgive you. 
That's what trusting the promise looked like for Sinai. But to not trust the promise, well, it looked like turning to God, from God, to idols. It looked like saying, God can't fix this broken world. You know what? I'm going to turn to Baal instead. I'm going to turn to an idol to do the job. And that would be expressed in wicked behavior. Wicked behavior being behavior that God doesn't want. So for someone to trust the promise, uh, to be saved under the old covenant, look like loving, fearing and trusting God in obedience to the entire law of the Old Testament for when you messed up, the sacrifices were there too. Okay, let's move to us. This is how we see the covenants change things. New covenant is where we are. Same diagram, text has changed. So the promise is exactly the same, but we have greater clarity now because the seed of Abraham has come. The one through whom the promises comes, Jesus, is now here. And so believing the promise, it's the same promise, remember, all the way through the Bible, is now shown by having faith in Christ. See, in Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit. He guarantees our salvation. And being united to Christ means that our sin is dealt with and the curse is gone. So to not believe the promise under this covenant looks like rejecting or marginalizing Jesus. That can look like things like trying to keep the law, trying to rely on your good works rather than relying on Jesus alone. I mean, the eagle-eyed among you will notice this is how the law, play, the law plays into this. You see, in the previous slide, keeping the law was showing that you were trusting the promise. But now that Christ has come to try and keep the law the same way, well, that looks like rejecting the promise. Can you see how it's changed under the covenants? As I said, we're going to think more about that as we get to Exodus. So don't worry if you haven't got your head around it completely. But we're going to think about that some more. But you see that how that's going to make a massive difference to how we read the Bible. When we get to the book of Leviticus, we're not going to be reading Leviticus going, oh, great, I need to do this or I need to do that. We need to think that was the old covenant law. That's how they showed their trust and their faith in God. We need to trust and believe in the Lord Jesus. Hopefully that has answered the question for whoever it was who asked that. We have five minutes for any other questions or clarifications about anything that I have said here. And if you're on Zoom, feel free to type them into the chat and Ian should get them. Uh, if that's not working, give them a wave and we'll figure out something else. Are there any questions uh, on anything that I've said or any clarification that would be useful? Of course, Sam. <laughs> Great. Uh, so it's a chosen relationship. Now, when I say that, I'm not saying it's a relationship that we choose to enter because we are not, we're not in, how do we explain this well? So the new covenant, if we see, uh, actually in Jeremiah, we saw it's between the house of Israel and the house of Judah. The, co the new covenant is made with Jesus and it's those people who are in Jesus who are the ones who are in the covenant. So we, we talk about union with Christ or joined with Jesus or something like that. That is how the new covenant comes about. So it's, it's saying something slightly different to I choose to be in this covenant or I don't choose. But at the same time, there is the aspect, isn't there, of how are you going to live your life? If you're going to trust the promise under the new covenant, you're going to have faith in Christ. And therefore, we want to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, as Philippians says, knowing that God's got it all in his hands and he will hold us fast. Does that help? I Basically, as I say, that definition has come from this little book here. Uh, so it's worth having a read, if need be. Show the camera. Camera. Here you go. Uh, yeah, on the, on the bottom of your handout, there were four books. I actually have the four books here if you want to see them and see whether you believe they're readable or not. One question from the Zoom. So Abraham is saved by faith. How does that work if we're saved under a different covenant? I think it comes back to that diagram. Um, so let me put that up there. So Abraham's promise. So let's change the new covenant. Say Abraham there. For Abraham, it looked like trusting the promise. And if he trusted the promise, it would, for Abraham, look like going from his family, all the security back at home, uh, circumcising his children, uh, standing out, actually going up against a whole bunch of kings. And as we've read through Genesis, we've seen Abraham falter, haven't we? She's my sister, I promise. Oh, Abraham, what have you done? Okay, right, we've got somewhere again. She's my sister. Oh, he's just done it again. So Abraham's faith, it falters like that, doesn't it? 
But by the time we get to Genesis 22, uh, you get the promise and God says, now that you have done this, I will. Uh, he swears on himself. That's really important uh, as the New Testament works this out. God promises covenants and swears to Abraham that he's going to bring about what he says. So for Abraham, it looks like that. But then again, the same diagram, we promise. So our faith is in the promise, the same promise as Abraham, which we know more about. Uh, and the blessing looks like trusting the seed of Abraham. So what's come through Abraham. So we're still trusting the same thing, but more detailed. Uh, I think that might answer what Alid's saying, I'm hoping. If not, Alid, feel free to text me, email me, catch me. Happy, happy with that? <laughs> He's got video off, so it's fine. <laughs> That's either a complete rejection or, yeah. Uh, one minute, anyone got anything else clarification-wise? Great, let me just show you uh, these books. Um, so this is a nice little short one, uh, which is the Tom Schreiner book, uh, just over 100 pages, not very hard to read at all, really helpful. Uh, if you were part of reading group a little while ago, so I've shown that one to the camera already once. If you are part of reading group a couple of years ago, we read Christ from Beginning to End. I think this is a really good book about how the whole Bible holds together. If you really want to know how the Bible works as a story uh, with the covenants involved, this is a really good one. Uh, it's even hardback. It feels nice to hold, but it's nice and easy to read. Uh, if you want to be more, uh, they basically get harder and harder as the lines go down. Uh, Sealed with an Oath. This is one of the Silver series. If you've read a Silver series book before, you'll know what these are. Uh, these are slightly more academic. Oh, there's a bookmark in there. Good, I got halfway through. Great. No, I did read the whole thing because I had to read it for, for a course I was doing. Uh, this one looks at covenants, the exact word, and how the Bible uses that word, uh, which is quite helpful. And finally, this is a slightly bigger version of, well, slightly more academic-y, detailed version of this one, okay? And there's an even bigger version of this that Sam and I can lend to you if you'd like to really read, what was it, about 700, 800 pages on the same topic. Um, but there's a whole bunch of books there. Um, they're listed there at the bottom of your handout, and I have them all physically, as I've just proven to you. Uh, there's also 2P on the floor down there if anyone wants to take that with them. But that is our time up for this evening. It is seven o'clock. We made it, and we had question time. Woohoo, brilliant. Great. <laughs> Shall I pray as we close our time? Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that we've been able to take this time to think a bit harder about something you have said in your words. Father, we pray that anything that was useful this evening uh, would be remembered. Anything where I was wrong or was unhelpful would be forgotten. And Father, we just pray that as we read your words, you'd be making us more and more like the, the Lord Jesus. Thank you that he died for us and that we have the promises secured in him, that every promise is yes and amen in the Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, I hope you found that useful. If you have any questions, uh, please let me know. Podcast at david-couch.com and I'll see you next time.